Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Terry Tucker, who is the author of Sustainable Excellence and founder of Motivational Check. Terry, how you doing? Timothy, I'm great. Awesome, awesome. We're happy to have you on, and we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Sure. So I, I am. Uh, I was born and raised in Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. You cannot tell this from looking at me. excuse me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to, to help us find a job. And I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I kind of look back on it now and realize kind of what a knucklehead I was to think I knew anything about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In terms of my professional career, I I mentioned the job at Wendy's. Then I was uh, in hospital administration. And then I did a big pivot and became a police officer. And I did undercover narcotic work. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Uh, After that, I started my own school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball in Houston, have been a motivational speaker. Last year, I became an author, but for the last nine years, I've kind of considered myself a cancer warrior. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Awesome. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, pick a rabbit hole that you want to go down now, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the shift to motivational speaker and author. Uh, That really was, you know, kind of halfway or so, you know, during my cancer journey, it was like, well, you know, what do I do now? Literally, I I had my, my left foot amputated in 2018. And I literally remember kind of looking at the ceiling being like, all right, God, what's next? You know, I had no goals. I, you know, I was kind of directionless. And, you know, people were like, well, you ought to, you ought to get out there and tell your story. And I'm like, no, no, I don't think, you know, but I think I'm, I'm smart enough to realize, you know, there's that kind of old joke when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So, you know, God never talked to me, but I think enough people were like, hey, you ought to do this. You know, you've got a unique story and and you ought to get out there and you ought to tell it and see who you can help because of your story. And so after a period of time, you know, I think I'm smart enough to realize that after enough people say it, I probably ought to perk up and and pay attention to it. So I, I really started it going right before COVID hit. And then once COVID hit, 
was like, well, you know, people aren't having events and even, you know, the, the remote events are, you know, are, are kind of being pared down. So I started to do podcasts and, you know, as a way to kind of get the, the word out, I've been very lucky. I've probably done well over 200 podcasts in, in you know, countries all over the, the world. So it's been a great experience for me and, and I love doing it. And who knows, you know, maybe I'll just keep doing podcasts and, you know, won't go up, won't go back out and do motivational speaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Tell us a bit more about your motivation behind I know your friends got you into it, but what gets you up and keeps you going every day? Pretty much my family. Um, you know, I am in a situation right now where uh, 2020, I had my left leg amputated because of the cancer. And I found out I had tumors in my lungs. So I am uh, going through a clinical trial now uh, of a drug that's designed to kind of rev up my immune system. And I remember when, you know, my, I, I had this, you know, these, these tumors in my lungs and my oncologist was like, you know, we're going to put you on chemotherapy. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of been an eight year run. I'm not sure I really want to do that. I mean, is it going to save my life? And he was like, no, but it's probably going to buy us more time. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do that, but I go home and talk to my family. So I go home and talk, you know, I'm talking to my wife and daughter and my, my daughter's, she's like, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. And, you know, I mean, what do, what do you mean a family meeting? You know, so we all sit down around the kitchen table and kind of give our two cents about whether or not I should have chemotherapy. And then my daughter was like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? So my wife and daughter raised their hand and I'm like, wait a minute, am I getting outvoted here? You know, I mean, to, to have chemotherapy. And I, I remembered back when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have a spring of photograph of the people we love the most to class. And while we were learning to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned that you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking care, taking chemotherapy because I love my family in all honesty more than I love myself. And, you know, that was kind of a, a way of really demonstrating what I learned back in the academy, you know, 20 some years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so you have been battling cancer since 2015 or has it been since before? 2012. 2012. Tell us um, about that journey and like when it gets tough and your mind starts to go against you, what are some of the things you do to stay as positive as you are right now mm. on this podcast? Yeah, I'll kind of give you the quick Reader's Digest version of how it happened. I, as I mentioned, I was a high school girls basketball coach, and I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And being a coach, you're on your feet a lot. So initially, I didn't think much of it. But after a couple of weeks, when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a cyst in there, and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No blood, no dark spots, nothing to give any one of us concern, but he sent it off to pathology. And two weeks later, <clears throat> excuse me, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until he just kind of laid it out for me. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom, the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. And I recommend you go to MD Anderson uh, in Houston and be treated. 
And so I did. And I, I had the bottom of my foot cut out. I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon, which basically the side effects of interferon were I had flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that was not a cure. That was just to keep the disease from coming back. 2017, I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees because of the toxicity of the drug. Um, I had to stop it at that point in time. The disease immediately came back. 2018, as I mentioned, I had my left foot amputated. 2019, it worked its way up my leg into my shin, two more surgeries. And then last year, I had an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area that grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs. Having said all that, in, in terms of pain and things like that, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain or a chronic illness or anything like that. It could be, you know, you, you flunk a test at school or you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering's optional. Suffering's what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and want people to feel sorry for you and feel sorry for yourself? Now you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I'm not wearing a cape. I'm a human being. You know, I have bad days. I cry. I get down. I get depressed. But I choose not to stay in that situation. I choose to use my pain to make me a better person. And I'm telling you right now, it's totally a choice. It's your choice on how you want to handle pain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And thank you for that. And the fact that your story and your strength developed from your story can come on this podcast to inspire all, all of us right now. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your dreams and goals for being a motivational speaker, being an author and just vision for your life. Yeah, I, I you know, I wrote this book, Sustainable Excellence, the, the 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it's a book about success. And, and success is what, you know, we do. You, you know, you're a successful podcaster. I may be a successful author, whatever that is. But I, I think I'd like, you know, in terms of, of goals or dreams, I think I'd like to write another book about another word that begins with S, and that is significance. You know, success is what we do for ourselves. Significance is what we do for other people. Now, I think you can be both. I think you'd be successful uh, and, and, and significant. But, you know, that's, I think the next book I would like to do would be to do one about significance, because I, I think we're all called in one way or another to serve. What, you know, however you, you feel that, you know, is, is what you, how you can do it, why you can do it, where you can do it, with whom you can do it. I mean, that's, that's going to differ. We're, we're not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. So that's kind of my, my goal right now. I'm kind of, I haven't started writing yet. I'm putting things together, trying to pull some, some things together. And once I do that, th that'll be my goal. I mean, my other goal right now is to really put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love 
back into the world as I can with whatever time that, that I have left right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Awesome. Well, if there were one or two people that you could meet right now, that would really help you take the next step towards getting that book written and continue to put out as much love as you can. It can be a specific person or type of person. Who would they be and how would they do it? You know, I, I just finished, well, not just, I, I recently uh, finished a book called uh, Legacy by a man by the name of James Kerr. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's about the New Zealand national rugby team. They're called the All Blacks because their uniforms are all black. And they are probably the most successful sports franchise, you know, of any sport in any country of all times. And I, I, I couldn't put the book down. I ended up taking four pages of notes just reading this book. And the thing I found interesting about them was you would think that if a team that's that good, that they would hire for technical competency. You know, I, I don't know anything about rug, rugby, so I'm not going to try to interject anything that regarding the, the positions of the players, but you're going to hire somebody who's good at whatever you're looking to do. And they don't hire for that. They hire for two things. One is character. What kind of person are you? And two is humility. You don't have to have all the answers as an individual, but collectively as a team, we will figure out the answers and then implement that. So I was just kind of blown away. You know, I mean, you always want, you know, I want to get the best person. Well, how do you define the best person? Is it the best person who's good at the job or is it the best person as in they've got good character and they're a humble individual? So I would love to meet Kerr and, and talk to him and kind of get his insight. Um, the other person who isn't here anymore, but somebody who had a big impact on me growing up was a man by the name of John Wooden, who was the, the basketball coach at UCLA uh, for a number of years. And his teams won a tremendous amount of championships. But as important as basketball was to Coach Wooden, the, the development of his players as people, I think he was more excited to see what his players did after basketball in terms of, you know, how they impacted their communities and, and, and things like that than he was basketball. And one of the things he's known for is his pyramid of success, which is a, a pyramid with building blocks in it about things that he felt were important that you needed to be successful in life. So, so those are two two people that you know come to come to mind right now that I, I think would I, I would love to sit down and have lunch with them, dinner, whatever, just you know, a conversation with them and and see where that went. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um unfortunately, John Wooden, like you said, is gone. Do you have any idea of like any books he's written or any um mentees, like past players, maybe that you could speak to? Hmm. You know, yeah. you know, it's funny because, you know, and my mother would probably tell you, tell you, this is the only book that I, that I read when I was in eighth grade. But what I, I recall when our basketball team had our, at our basketball banquet in eighth grade, um, it was at a, an old Pony Express stop that was turned into a restaurant and they had a little kind of gift shop off to the side. And while we were waiting for the, the table or the area to be uh, readied, I, I remember going in there and, and Wooden had this book called They Call Me Coach. And it's another book that 
you know, I, I couldn't put it down. I, I, I mean, there were there were great sayings or quotes at the top of every chapter. I mean, everything he did from, you know, being raised in rural Indiana on a farm with his mom and dad and, and, and how they, you know, it was just a different time. I mean, they, there was a lot of discipline, but there was also a lot of love and encouragement and you can do this kind of stuff. So, I mean, that was, you know, that's a book. I still have it. And there have been people that have written books about, Wooden's Pyramid of Success, Wooden's, you know, he's, he's still on YouTube and things like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, you look at his players, Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Gail Good. I mean, all people that, I mean, you probably know Jabbar, you probably know Walton. I mean, they, they're still around, but some of his other players and stuff like that, I mean, they're just, they're out in the community making a difference. And I think for him, that's what made him proud, not winning all those championships and trophies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sounds like a man who knew what was really important. I think you're right. Awesome. Well, tell us about the most important one or two things that everyday people can really do to help you spread that love and give you a kick in the butt for that book. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that I learned in, in team sports, you know, I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and, and played all the way up, you know, until I graduated from college. And, and the thing that I think team sports told me or taught me was the importance of being part of something bigger than yourself. You know, I, I knew that if I didn't do my job, not only was I letting myself down, but I'm letting my teammates down, my coaches down, my fans down, my parents down, etc. You know, and if you think about the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. And I, I've often said that, you know, I'm on this clinical trial for these tumors in my lungs. It's probably not going to save my life, but it may save somebody else's life, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, when I'm no longer here. And for me, that's, you know, that's the kind of kick in the butt that I need every day to kind of say, hey, th this is bigger than you. This is part of something that's bigger than you, that you going and having all these lousy reactions and things like that are going to help somebody that you'll never even know. And I, I think that's, that for me is, is what I need. I need that, that constant, not constant, but I need that occasional kick in the butt to say, Hey, Terry, this is bigger than you. And remember that when you're going through this, I mean, the, you know, my, my oncologist, every time I go for treatment, it's like, so, you know, do you want to do this today? You know, and I always tell them, no, I, I never want to do it. You know, I, I mean, it, it's it's a difference of, you know, I have to do it versus I get to do it. And the way I look at it is I get to do this. I get to go and feel lousy in the hope that that's going to help somebody else down the road save their life, be with their family, you know, get to, who knows, to develop a cure for cancer because they got to hang around and stuff like that. So yeah, occasionally I need that kick in the butt to remind me that this is bigger than me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Now I kind of want to take it back to something that's been a thread through everything you've said. It's turning that pain into something useful as opposed to just laying down and suffering. Tell us more about the process of doing that when, you know, because when we feel pain, us as humans instantly go into like that suffering, that negative, that like victim mentality like tell us how you combat those thoughts when they are the first things that pop up 
Yeah, I, I will. I'll give you what I call my four truths. And these are just four sentences. I have them here on a post-it note that, you know, I have in my office and I see them multiple times a day. And they're, I guess for me, they're like the bedrock of my soul. I mean, they're, they're a great place to start building a life on. And, and if they resonate with any of your audience, feel free to use them, you know, in your life. If one or two do, use those and come up with your own, whatever you want to do. So the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. You know, when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. And when I went back playing, I remembered my mind was kind of like, it was giving me these negative thoughts. Like, you know, hey, you had these surgeries, you're probably a step slower or college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you to play in their team. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still contacting me about potentially playing for them in college. So it was like, no, I need to change that narrative. I need to flip the switch. And I think that's the first thing because, you know, our, like you said, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. And to the brain, the status quo is good. You know, things are good right now. Don't mess with it. Don't do anything. As soon as you step outside that status quo, your mind starts attacking you. It starts putting these negative thoughts into your brain. The problem is, the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to get better, the only way you're going to develop is if you do step outside the status quo, if you do things that scare you. And I always recommend to people that every day of your life, you should do at least one thing that scares you, that makes you nervous, that is potentially embarrassing to you in some way. Because if you do those small things every day, when something big comes up, you know, like you lose your job or you get sick or, you know, you have a mom and dad that you need to care for and stuff like that. You're going to be like, no, wait a minute. I handled all these small things. I have what it takes to handle the big stuff when it comes out. So that's that's the first one. The second one is we need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use it to make us a stronger and more determined individual. Again, you know, people, when they have pain, a lot of times they do dumb stuff. They turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to bad behavior. What I'm saying is instead of running from pain or trying to mitigate it, what if you did the opposite? What if you took it and flipped it inside and burned it as fuel or used it as energy to make you a stronger individual? Trust me, if I can do it, you can. There, there's, I mean, I am the biggest wimp in the world. So if I can do this, I promise you anybody else can. So that's number two. Number three is, I guess, more of a legacy truth than anything else. And it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And I always ask people, I don't care you know, how young or old you are, think about the end game. Think about the end of your life. And if you do that, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? You know, would your ancestors be proud of the life that you have lived? When I found out I was getting, you know, I was going to have my leg amputated and that, I went with my wife to the, to the mortuary, to the cemetery, and to the church, and I planned my funeral. And I kind of got some brushback from that from people. They were like, you know, don't you think that's kind of defeatist? And I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. I mean, I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So, you know, <laughs> everybody dies but not everybody really lives. And I, I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I love, and it went like this. 
when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. And I think the big words in that, in that quote are live your life. You know, get out there, find your purpose in life and live it. So that's number three. And then number four is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. You know, my pain is going to end someday, man, through medication, man, through surgery, quite frankly, man, when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give into that pain, pain will always be a part of my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love those four truths. And I really love the part about living your life. But that uh, that flip that they did, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. I hope you guys were listening to that. Make sure to rewind and write it all down and then rewind again, listen to it and then get it in your head because those are four truths that we all definitely need to live by. Well, awesome. Terry, now we're going to jump into our thriving three. Okay. So I just want to hear about how you thrive in life. So our first question is, what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. So my favorite movie will be Field of Dreams hmm. with Kevin Costner. I, I mean, it's, a, it's just a, it's a, I think it's just a great movie. I, I cannot watch Field of Dreams, and I probably watched it a hundred times. I cannot watch Field of Dreams without crying at the end. I, I just, I just flat out can't do it. I, I think if, I don't have too many things I want to do in my life, you know, going forward, but one of them would be to take our daughter to that baseball field in Iowa and, you know, just have a catch that, that, that would be it. So field of dreams, I think it's just a feel good family movie about what's really important in life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what is one way you like to take care of yourself? Um, I, I'm very careful about what I put into my body now. One of the, one of the tests that I had um, for a number of years to determine the status of my cancer was called a PET scan. And what the PET scan was is they injected radioactive sugar into your veins with the idea being that cancer cells have a higher metabolism than your regular cells. And those cancer cells will pick it up at, at a faster rate. And so that's where it will glow where you have that cancer. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm not the brightest bear in the woods, but I kind of figured, well, if sugar is something that's attracted to cancer, maybe I ought to avoid as much sugar as I can. So I really I try to eat more protein, more fruits and vegetables and stuff like that and stay away from the breads, the carbs, the desserts. I love them. Don't get me wrong. And I have them from time to time. But, you know, I, I just try to do to help my body as much as I can to heal after I have my, you know, my infusions and stuff like that. And I do that, you know, I drink water, I don't drink soda, I don't drink, you know, alcohol and things like that. So I, I try to put good stuff into my body to help my body rejuvenate and heal after all my treatments. Love it. Love it. And what is one action step you can take right now or continue to take if you're already doing it to either write that book or get to that field in Iowa and have that first catch? That, that's a great question. I, you know, I mean, it, the, the field in Iowa is going to take a logistics expert to figure out how to, how to get me in my wheelchair and, you know, and all that kind of stuff there with my daughter who's in the military. And, you know, that's, that's going to be a difficult thing, but I, I'll tell you one thing I do every day that really kind of rejuvenates me or makes me feel good 
is I probably spend an hour every day in prayer, you know, and certainly part of it is asking, you know, to, to for the miracle to get rid of this cancer. But I've met so many people over the years that have asked, you know, will you pray for me, you know, and things like that, people that are still here, people that have, have passed on. And so for me, that, that kind of makes me feel good that every day I can spend time in prayer and pray for people who, you know, who need my help or need God's help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, now I got one last question for you and it's going to require a bit of pretext. Is that okay? Sure. All righty. The question is, or the pretext is, you know how there are some people on the planet that live in a fixed mindset, not willing to accept help, not willing to accept change type of lifestyle. And then sometimes they die like that. And then there are people who are like that and change to a growth mindset, accepting change, accepting help. In your opinion, what is the catalyst that causes that change? That's a great question. Um, I, I, I would say it's, it has to be something that gets them to realize a, a couple things. One, that everything you need to be successful in life is already inside you. You just need to find it, pull it out, and use it to your advantage. I, I recall a, a story that I read about a professor back in the 1950s at Johns Hopkins University who did an experiment with rats. And it was a very simple experiment. He took rats and he put them in water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long they would tread water before they would sink and drown. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as they were getting ready to, um, excuse me, I'm sorry. I, just as they were getting ready to, to drown, he reached in, pulled them out, dried them off and let them rest for a while. And then he put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. First time, that's all I can do. 15 minutes, I'm gonna drown. I can't do any more. Boom, somebody pulls me out, somebody rec rescues me, somebody gives me hope and, I, and puts me back in that same tank of water. So that taught me two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We've got to have hope. We've got to have the belief that, you know, there's something better. There's something bigger out there that we're moving towards. And two, just how much our physical bodies can handle. You know, when, when we get to the end of our rope, the, the Navy SEALs talk about their 40% rule. You know, when you, get, when you get to the end of your rope, you can't do, you know, another push-up. You can't swim another lap. You can't run another mile you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% more to give to yourself. So I, I would say it's got to be a major life event, you know, where people realize what, what the importance of life is. And, you know, I, I love that rat story. And I love this, the seal story because whenever I get down, whenever I think I can't go on, I always remember that. And it just kind of perks me up and gets me moving forward. Awesome. I love that. I love that answer. And it's a unique one. So I'll add it to my catalog of answers. Well, awesome. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we sign off? Uh, let me let me leave you with this story. Um, I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. So my mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and things like that. And in 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You, you very well may have seen it. 
It starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who actually walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters just for the movie. Now, Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much he was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt had been a lawman his entire life. And these two men from entirely divergent backgrounds form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from my house. The real Doc Holliday died in that sanitarium and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men do that just to pass the time. And they're talking in this final scene in the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, I was in love with my cousin when I was young, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life and get on with living yours. You know, Tim, you and I probably know people out there they're like, you know what, I'm just holding back. And when this happens, I'll have a normal life. And when that happens, I'll have a successful life. Or when this happens, I'll have an influential life. What I'm saying is don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth and live it. Because if you do, I'll promise you two things. At the end of your life, you'll be a whole lot happier and you'll have a whole lot more peace in your heart. There we go. Get out there and live your life. All right. Well, Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys are listening to this and you loved what Terry had to say, make sure to reach out to him, connect with him and um, both buy his books and look forward to his next book. Also, if you happen to be a logistics expert, let's get him to that baseball field in Iowa with his daughter so that they can throw the baseball back and forth. As we always ask, send this episode to one or two people you know need to hear this message shoot us a five-star review on itunes and we're out guys thanks for listening make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them if you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals make sure to check out the website workwithtimmydouglas.com and contact me either there or on social media that's all i got have a blessed day